This is Cultivating Place, conversations on natural history and the human impulse to garden. From North State Public Radio in Northern California, I'm Jennifer Jewell. May Day is upon us, and we celebrate in conversation with Australian gardener and writer Georgina Reed. Her work, under the name of The Plant Hunter, finds truth, beauty, chaos, and what it is to live an important life in constant relationship with plants. Stay with us. What it is that I'm trying to do is is to really seduce people into falling in love with plants. I mean, that's kind of the big picture thing in a way. So yes, it's about connection and highlighting connections and, and telling these stories that don't necessarily have a place to be told anywhere else. This is Cultivating Place. I'm Jennifer Jewell. Georgina Reed, known as George, is a gardener and writer. She's the founder and director of the online magazine known as The Plant Hunter, which is based in Australia but is about life with plants, no matter where you live. Recently, George published a book of the same name, The Plant Hunter, subtitled Truth, Beauty, Chaos, and Plants. And in celebration of May Day and the lively green uprising it represents for the growing season in the Northern Hemisphere, George joins us today via Skype from her home in Australia. Welcome, George. Hi, Jennifer. Thanks for having me. So I'm going to ask you to describe for listeners what you currently do in relationship to plants and flowers. And I ask about that currently because, as we know, these things are very ephemeral and they change all the time. And so I would love to hear your current situation as a gardener and a garden writer and uh, in this life. My current situation is I really immersed in plants. I mean, my life has just, it's kind of, it's not all it's about, but sometimes it sort of feels like maybe it is. So yes, I write about, well, plants and nature and, and big ideas around that very regularly. I speak at events around plants and nature and gardening. I spend most afternoons in the bushland behind my house amongst the trees and and, and the, the wilderness there with my dog. And then I spend the rest of my time in the garden and then I'm eating them. So yes, it's <laughs> it's really a life a life lived alongside and with and in in communion with plants, I guess, and, and with the natural world. Yeah. I feel very, very, very lucky for that. Yeah. Describe the plant hunter for people that might not be familiar with it. And I sort of awkwardly described it as an online community, which it which it is, but it's also so much more complex and layered than that. D- describe the plant hunter and what it is currently. It is an online magazine. That's that's sort of the the biggest, broadest definition. You know, we're publishing stories a couple of times a week. Um, the scope of it, I guess, is what is perhaps interesting or perhaps challenging, depending on how you look at it. It's about big picture questions around people and plants and, and 
that relationships. It can go from one week we might be publishing a story about a beautiful garden and, and the story of the person who, who tends that garden. The next week it might be a story about um, fire stick farming in Australia and, and Indigenous land management or growing coral gardens in Fiji. So it's a really broad, meandering kind of movable feast, I guess, which um, <laughs> is not a very – this is not very good marketing terminology. I'm aware of that. <laughs> it's kind of like – it's my passion project, I guess. That's another way I could describe it. It's a place that allows me to explore the things that I think perhaps are really important and that can – contribute to ideas around what it means to be here now and you know what is a good life what does that look like and for me it's very much lived in in relation and connection to the world around us. So I'm going to have you step back now and I want to start by kind of tracing what you just referred to as what is an important life back to its origins in your life and what your earliest influences were, whether they were people or places or specific plants that led you to be a kind of person that would see an important life as being inextricably entwined with plants. Yes, I think my life always has has been um, connected to the earth, I guess. So I grew up on a farm in central New South Wales, which is about a small area, sort of four hours northwest of Sydney on the east eastern side of Australia. I, I didn't realise at the time how much of an influence landscape is and places on those early years and, and how much that then affects the way you see the world as an adult. But really, that landscape is absolutely you know imprinted on my soul it's just the place that that I have always gone to in my head I guess so that's the wider landscape that's the sort of an agricultural a rural landscape in, in central New South Wales low rolling hills not as many trees as there should be a beautiful space I guess for me but also my mum is a very keen gardener and so I grew up in an old farmhouse surrounded by what would now be seen in suburban terms as a, a huge garden that she was very connected to and I was very connected to her. So I guess I ended up traipsing around behind her in the garden, sowing seeds and being her little friend. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, ruined from day one. Or not. Or not, or not. <laughs> and so then, then your journey kind of goes into a more slightly mainstream kind of current before it comes back around. D describe the journey from this small person following your mother in the garden and absorbing your greater landscape to um, saying to yourself, I, I'm going to do this thing called the plant hunter. <laughs> Yes, that was quite a journey. Um, so I finished high school and then I decided I was going to go to university and study journalism. I wanted something that I could return to the country and, and do as a job. So I thought, you know, journalism would be a sensible, a sensible thing. I could kind of be anywhere and, and, and 
do that. And I finished that degree and then I just realized like, what the hell am I doing? I'm so not a journalist. Like I'm pretty sure I was a terrible writer at that point because I, I guess I hadn't found what I was passionate about and I, yeah. um, that was something that had always driven me and it was something that had confused me for a really long time because I didn't know what it was that I wanted to do but I knew it was really important that I found it. And so I had, you know, I started studying photography, I was going to do fashion design, I was going to do interior design, like all of these different sort of creative pursuits. And then one day I was bored at a job and discovered this thing called permaculture and I sort of it just really drew me in. I had no idea that there was such a thing around design and sustainability and, and sort of living connected to the land. It was just this whole worldview that sort of blew me away. I thought, right, maybe I'll go and study permaculture. Then I just thought it would be really sensible to do horticulture first and have a good grounding in plants and design. So I then went and studied horticulture and landscape design and completely fell in love. Mm. So then I ended up working in a landscape architecture firm for a while and also at that time started writing and I was kept being employed because I had these writing skills that I didn't want to have anything to do with because I decided that I was being a landscape designer, not a writer. I kept ending up writing articles for my boss or doing doing various bits of communications and stuff around the office and I realised actually I I really quite enjoyed writing when I was writing about something that I loved. Yeah. The more I designed gardens, the more time I spent thinking about them, the more time I spent thinking about the relationship between people and places and people and plants and people and gardens, the more I wanted to explore that in writing and there was no avenues for me to do that. So I just thought, oh, I'll just make my own. <laughs> As you do, <laughs> completely mad idea now, but also not mad, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> the um, I just can't tell you how many people, and it, it, it really just makes my whole person happy, how many people I talk to and it's it, it – at least from this side of the conversation, it so looks like the universe has this great plan for them. And, um, you know, that you did a little bit of photography and a little bit of design and, you know, and they, and you did all this writing and you were like, no, no, that's not it. That's not it. And then finally it comes together and every single one of those things that felt maybe peripheral or, or superfluous all fall into place. And you're like, oh, I needed that and I needed that. So, um, I'm on a tangent. It's a tangent no, I get on all the time. It's actually 100% <laughs> right. And you know what? I always think about that because when I was studying journalism at university and I was trying to get internships and trying to get jobs and nothing ever worked. Mm. And I kept thinking, why is this not happening? <laughs> why can't I do this? And then the minute I decided to follow plants everything, you know, a job just fell out of the sky. This happened, that happened. It's just mm. been, I absolutely um, believe that this is, you know, there was, there were prods. Yeah. Um, and yes, so. And more than prods, right? Because just like what you were saying, you, you push and the world says, nope. And then you push mm. this way and the world says, nope. And then you push this way and they're like, 
you're on the right path now. Go forward. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes, exactly. That's, so, that's what's happened. And, and so you you take all of this experience and all of this learning and you have this crazy idea, which I'm sure especially – so w- first of all, what year did you start The Plant Hunter officially? I started working on it at the beginning of 2013 and it launched in November 2013, so yeah. five and a half years ago. Right. I definitely want to get to the book because it's such a um, a lovely tangible version of the plant hunter. But I'd like you to talk about the evolution of the digital life of the plant hunter first. So when I launched it in 2013, um, it was, you know, essentially I keep returning back to the to the mission and the questions and, and what it is I'm doing. And actually the vision has has evolved, of course, but but the core, the core vision, um, and the core kind of values haven't really, you know, I still feel really very strongly about, about what it is I'm doing and what it is that I'm trying to do is, is to really seduce people into falling in love with plants. I mean, that's kind of the big, the big picture thing in a way. So yes, it's about connection and highlighting connections and, and telling these stories that don't necessarily have a place to be told anywhere else. But the real vision is to encourage people to see and, and value the world around us through the very domestic topic of plants and, and gardens. And I think that accessibility is really important. So in a sense, the evolution of, of the content and the vision has been a refining of that. It's mm. interesting that you knew this feeling to be very true for yourself and this mission and these core messages were very strong in you. Mm. And yet there w- there was this moment of surprise and almost overwhelm at just how deeply that resonated with the people that found you. And you know when you when you look back on that now um and i'm sure you still have those those moments at times were there surprises to you in in why it resonated with so many people across areas i think the main reason people respond to it so much uh, what i've realized is that it's because my heart's there mm-hmm. you know i think any time you speak really from a place of truth um, and you take the ego out of it, you take the kind of trying to please people out of it, you take the all of those things that end up kind of diluting a story um, out of things. I think people generally really respond to, to truth, whether they necessarily believe it to be their truth or believe it um, full stop. I think there's there's a genuine connection that, that can be created in that way. So I think um, perhaps a lot of the time that's what people respond to. Yeah. And I guess the other thing um, I was surprised at was that my vision has always been a little bit weird and a little bit left field and not particularly mainstream. And when I did launch it five years ago, it was kind of before – the big plant thing um, that, you know, everyone's an indoor plant person now and is obsessed with um, houseplants, which is, which is really great. But um, at that time, 
I was like the weirdo plant person that that <laughs> it wasn't very cool then basically right, right. Um, <laughs> perhaps it was just the beginning of um so I you know I didn't realize it would be you know seen as anything cool which some people seem to think it might be although I'm pretty sure I've um dispelled that that now <laughs> <laughs> so describe describe like some of the criteria you use for saying, yeah, this is a good fit for the plant hunter. Sure. Um, it's very broad. So we cover gardens, which is a very obvious fit. And generally they're not necessarily the big fancy designed gardens, although we do we do include some of those. That's the garden porn, <laughs> the unofficial <laughs> garden porn category. Um Generally, with the gardens, it's it always comes back to a human story, and I guess that's actually the same for for fairly well all of the content categories. So we have gardens that would never ever be featured in a lifestyle magazine because they don't tick enough of the the pretty boxes or the mm -hmm. the design boxes. They might just be a collection of you know a lifelong collection of tillandsias or hoyas or or something you know kind of obscure, but um, something that someone is very, very passionate about. So mm -hmm. um, they're the stories I really, I love. Mm -hmm. And then we have people stories. So we'll interview landscape architects or designers or artists or ecologists or any, anyone who's working with plants, making inspired by plants, but that can be as broad as, you know, natural dyeing. There's so much mm -hmm. sound, sound artists working with plants and, and um, tapping into the, the the audio sounds that the trees will make, things like that. So mm -hmm. there's a whole range of stuff that we explore. I guess the the thread um, that runs through all of the stories is is really connection, which is very obvious, but also humanizing some of some of the stories in a way and and. It's very obviously a subjective publication. It's not a journalistic kind of mm -hmm. these are the facts. It's really about someone's experience or someone's feeling about something or someone's obsession. In celebration of May Day, today we're in conversation with Australian gardener and writer Georgina Reed. Her work under the name of The Plant Hunter finds truth, beauty, chaos, and what it means to live an important life with plants. We'll be right back after a break to hear more. The work of the plant hunter and of Georgina and all the contributors to its mission is not dissimilar to our mission here at Cultivating Place. It's about sharing this love of and constant learning we're engaged in with our life in plants. If you haven't had a chance to go to theplanthunter.com and check out more, definitely make some leisurely time to do this. You'll enjoy it fully, I promise. In order to connect, it starts by sharing, by sharing something forward. Someone shared Georgina's work with me, and I am sharing it with you, and so on and on. It's in this connection that we all grow and cultivate strength and resilience as gardeners and as humans. So I'm going to ask you to do this. Share Cultivating Place with the people you love 
with people you happen to find yourself chatting with and who you think might like it. When you feel inspired or moved by a conversation or a moment in one of our weekly conversations, please write a review at Cultivating Place on iTunes or follow along with us and make a comment on Instagram at cultivating underscore place. I'm pretty active on Instagram almost every day and or on Facebook where I'm active more on a weekly basis. I'd love to share your thoughts with others. Along with sunlight, regular watering, and some care and attention, word of mouth is the best way for this podcast to grow. And all healthy growth comes down to connecting and nurturing this soil of us beautifully and meaningfully. Now, back to our conversation with Georgina Reed, exploring the ideas of truth, beauty, chaos, and plants. This is Cultivating Place. I'm Jennifer Jewell. In celebration of May Day, our sort of virtual dance around the Maypole today is conversation with Georgina Reed, founder and principal writer at The Plant Hunter, based in Australia. As we enter summer, George and Australia enter late autumn and winter, but it's still all about savoring the seasons with the beauty of our plant planet mates. Welcome back. You started it basically on your own in 2013, from what I understand. And now you have a a greater kind of community of contributors and input. Describe what what that is now. It's not that much bigger, (laughs) unfortunately or fortunately. Um, So it's it's generally me and I have an assistant, Lucy Munro, who's – Excellent, excellent, excellent at keeping keeping things on the straight and narrow. And I work with photographer Daniel Ship, who also photographed the book. So that's been an incredible relationship. That he just appeared a couple of months after I launched the Plant Hunter, <laughs> and he's just been he's become a, a very dear friend of mine and and a really really important um, creative collaborator of mine so um that's been a wonderful relationship and then a bunch of contributors who just send me emails and say I've got this weird idea for a story do you want to publish it and um we do or we don't um yes so it's it's kind of it's a real movable feast there's no kind of um it's not a big a big organization or a big publishing house behind it. It's very, very small and expands when funds (laughs) are around and when they're not shrinks again. Yeah. When you look at the kind of fabric of your contributors, they're coming from all over the world and um, about – about how many have you have you worked with? Do you do you know? Do you have a sense of that? There's a lot. Right. Um, right. There's I think around maybe eighty or more now. Yes. But some of those might just be might be one excellent story, might be two. Mm-hmm. Some who've contributed quite a lot over the years. So it really just it just depends. It's kind of I think this. 
something quite nice about the fluidity of it. It's yeah. it's quite perhaps should be more structured <laughs> for mm. business and and um, more practical reasons. But there's something quite lovely about how it isn't. Yeah, it's perhaps more like a garden, really, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I was thinking this... that. Yeah, yeah it kind of <laughs> expands real... and contracts, and it it has a breathing dynamic. Yes. Yeah. And there was a point where I thought it should get bigger and it should be serious and it should be this, 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 and this, and and now I, I'm pleased that that's not where I've chosen to take it. I th- I don't think that would 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 work for me or it actually that gets us nicely to the book because you you talk a, quite a bit especially in the introduction to the book about um this concept of what an important life is and that you you know there were some notions in your head about what an important life was and then along this journey you you realized that Maybe your preconceived notions were were not helping, and that an important life actually looked something very different. And that taps into a, a phrase you just used about, you know, whether or not the the plant hunter should have become different, bigger in a different way, and more serious. And I think this really taps into so much of the baggage that our cultures carry around this act of gardening this this impulse and and built-in desire to garden that you and I both clearly share and so many of our readers listeners you know people share um and yet we all spend time sort of worrying that it's not important enough or serious enough or successful enough and this is so much of what you address beautifully in your work so talk a little Thank bit about you. that. Thank you. Um, yes, this is a very big question, Jennifer. <laughs> mm-hmm. I guess it comes back to values. And I think the way our society is structured and the frame that, that much of um, Western society operates within is – is kind of well it's it's damaging on so many levels but it also places value um in in the wrong places i would suggest so yes it's you know i should be <laughs> making tons of money and you know a mark <laughs> of success would be me you know selling tons of advertising on the website and monetizing it and and doing all of this kind of stuff, um, or you know, there's there's all of the all of the cultural baggage around yeah. what's important and how um, a person, how a woman, is valued and and should be valued. And I've just I've never been a conformist, I guess, so that doesn't necessarily appeal to my heart but there's always a part of you that kind of goes well actually maybe you should think about <laughs> right what this you're that, not whatever. you're not so, making a lot of money Georgina what's wrong with you <laughs> what's wrong I can't I, believe that <laughs> what's what sort of how could I ever conceive of myself as any kind of a success um <laughs> so you know something I've thought about recently is all of the things that we aren't valued are really 
caring roles, aren't they? You know, mm. and gardening, the way I see it, and I think the way you see it is less about, uh, you know, controlling a space and killing weeds and 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 maintaining. Um, it's it's actually an act of deep caring, yeah. and of stewardship of of land and and of you know that can be extended from a small patch of earth on the river to an entire worldview. Do do we value care? It doesn't, you know, there's there's a lot of reasons to suggest and a lot of examples to suggest that we we don't value um, what it really means to care. And that's a worry and a dangerous situation to be in. So I guess what we value as a society is often not what the garden offers and what the relationship is actually about. So, yes, I bang on about this all the time and I think, I don't know, maybe I'm a broken record, but I'm not sure what else there is to do, you know. Yeah, and I would I would suggest that in addition to asking people to fall in love with every story you write and publish and every page of your book, you are also modeling what it looks like to value caring and what it looks like to reorient what is valuable in this world mm. and and mm. why that is important and how we are, as a result, really valuable agents of change. And the book... The, the certainly the entire endeavor of the plant hunter does this, but let's go into the book because it is such a nice little tangible take-home message of the plant hunter. What made you decide to write a book? And it's this beautiful collaboration between you and the photographer Daniel Ship. And um, so, so give us a little bit of the journey that led you to the book, and then we'll get into the actual content. So I'd been thinking about a book for quite a while and had spoken to a number of publishers over the years since Plant Hunter launched and I guess it just was never the right time for me um, <laughs> financially as well as creatively and I think we, Daniel and I both, we, we work together a lot and I think we got to a point um, probably, I don't know, where, a couple of years ago where we had all of this, these ideas, I guess, and, and a bit of the content that we'd already shot. And um, I, it just felt like the natural next step to, yeah. to make something tangible. And a lot of the feedback I would always get about Plant Hunter is, you know, when are you going to make a book? When are you going to make a magazine? When can we sort of indulge in this in, in a more um, physical way? So it just sort of happened. It was the right time. Um, we we found the right publisher and all of a sudden we were on this mad journey of bookmaking, which I absolutely loved, actually. I just loved it. I wish I could just make books all the time. <laughs> <laughs> um 
Okay, well, I'm sure the universe just heard you, so I'm sure there's another one uh, coming our way. But let's let's focus on the one that we have in front of us. And one of the things I love about it um, is the very beginning. I love the introduction, but it's the pink pages with the black in-your-face font relaying the core messages that I was like, this is great. I love this. Walk us through some of those pink pages because they really set the 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 feel for the whole rest of the book. Yeah, that's so funny. That was um, yeah that I, that was me sitting at, at the end of our jetty one morning, a Saturday morning, with a cup of coffee, and I think I was having this kind of. There's so much I want to say. How do I say it? You know, how, how do I get all of this stuff? What What's really important to me? Um, so I was kind of interrogating myself, um, really trying to understand what what was important for me to be writing about, and not um, to tell other people, but just just to tell myself really. Um, and so then I just went back to the computer within about 20 minutes had just spilled all of this out and that was that. <laughs> so it was kind of this, it was the easiest writing for the book that I, that I did. It just, you know, you know, you would know sometimes yeah. when things want to come out, they just appear fully formed, ready to roll. And that's that. Right. And so I sent it to the publisher just sort of saying, Oh, this is kind of it. And she was like, Oh my God. <laughs> this has to go at the beginning of the book. Um, and that's that. So, And did you determine they should be on um, pink or, or did she? <laughs> that was the designer. Yeah, that was Evie, Evie our, our designer, who um, everyone was very excited about. Um, we called it the manifesto, which it's not called that in the book, but that sort of the, was always yeah. the, the working title. Everyone was very excited about the manifesto and I was a bit embarrassed because I didn't want people to think that I was telling them how to be. It was more um, about me <laughs> saying what's important to me. You know, I, I, I have quite a strong aversion to, to telling people how they should be in the world. I don't think that's very helpful. Anyway, uh, people will take it how they will take it and that's fine. Yeah. I can read some of them. I might, well, some of them, I think there's 11 in total and the first one is very simply saying beauty is everywhere and I think for me beauty is a really powerful force and it's something we we also tend to devalue in a way it's you know just this kind of surface thing that that you know it's not science it's not it's not giving us the answers to you know all sorts of big questions but actually I think it's a really powerful force for for change and and connection and also um it's it's a really important element of of what I would see as a good life. Before you mm. go on with this, I want to I want to mm. I want to explore that a little bit because mm. the word beauty, a little bit like the word garden, is so mm. complex because there is this really superficial version of that word mm. that we are often sold, and it mm. is it is a word of commerce, and mm. it is a specifically feminine word of commerce mm. that makes me yes. want to throw up. And I, yes. I feel the same way about that when it's used that way for gardening. A and the mm. word garden can sometimes be used in that exact same kind of yes. vibration level that is unacceptable to me. 
and um, <laughs> yes. and and so the 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 page says beauty is everywhere, very large, and then yes. there is this lovely smaller kind of paragraph, kind of sussing out what George means when she when she says this. Mm, true, it's about seeing for me, and you know it doesn't matter where you are. Like there is so much beauty around and I use my grandmother Olga as an example because she's just someone who anytime I would see her it didn't matter she lived in a very modest house in a very small town she was very frugal you know there wasn't fancy artworks on her wall or or anything like that but everywhere she went she'd be picking up a rock from the ground that she thought was incredible or she'd be looking at this flower over here or this cloud up there and so for her, uh, I guess beauty was a way of being in a way, a way of, a way of being in the world. Yeah. And I think that's something we often miss. You're right, we have these very narrow um, culturally defined ideas of what beauty is and it has to be, you know, a symmetrical female face with the right eyebrows that are right. – <laughs> cool in 2019 um and the right hair you know all of this stuff which is total nonsense so for me it's it's obviously about a deeper expression a great way to be in the world is to is to see yeah. truly see georgina reed is the creator and writer of the plant hunter an australian online magazine and now a book about truth beauty chaos and plants we'll be right back after a break to hear more stay with us okay thinking out loud here one of the things that sticks with me this week here in this conversation with Georgina Reed is her early remark where she says, I think people respond to the work so much because my heart's there. You know, I think anytime you really speak from a place of truth and you take the ego out of it, I think people genuinely respond to this truth, whether they necessarily believe it's their truth or not. And then Closer to the end of the conversation, she says in almost a resigned voice, I don't know, maybe I'm just a broken record. The truth is that for those of us who are in this long-term relationship with plants and the soil and the landscape, these are truth. As George writes, they are beauty. They are chaos. And as I would say, our gardens at their best and most engaged and mindful They are our very own loving responses to all that plants bring to us in our lives. And we, in turn, make a difference. We really do. You might catch yourself saying something like, just a gardener, "Mm, just gardening today. But don't fool yourself. And don't let anyone else or our culture fool you. We, especially when connected and together, we make a difference. This gardening impulse makes a difference to our individual intellectual health and well-being, which we then radiate back out into the world. We make a difference to our larger environments, which all together create a patchwork quilt of regenerative connectivity. We make a difference to our families, to our communities, and our culture on economic and well-being levels 
across the board on every level. So broken records that we all may be, keep it up, keep singing, keep playing, keep inviting others to circle around the sun with you on this garden life journey. Happy May Day. Now back to our conversation with Georgina on just what an important life looks like and why that's important. This is Cultivating Place. I'm Jennifer Jewell. In honor of May Day, an ancient Northern Hemisphere spring festival and a traditional spring holiday in many cultures, we dive deep into the beauty of spring and all that it means and inspires about what we value. Today, we're in conversation with Georgina Reed, also known as George, who is the founder of The Plant Hunter. Welcome back. Okay, now you get to go to your next one. <laughs> <laughs> My next one. Well, another one that is particularly resonant to me now is question everything, know nothing. That sets the direction for me so regularly is every time you think, I think I might be closer to some some kind of answer or some kind of this is how things are, um, I, I'm not. <laughs> And I think accepting that and and kind of um, leaning into the the unknown and the beauty again that arises when you surrender to not knowing and you surrender to asking questions and living in in a state of questioning rather than in a state of I know this this is fact this is true. There's just so much that appears when when you are in that space. Mm-hmm. I think that's. A really important thing and I think actually being in the garden uh, teaches you this lesson very very regularly <laughs> and clearly <laughs> doesn't it yes it does yes it does so my third my third message here is all plants are equal and I just I like thinking about this and I like saying this because it sort of goes back to your idea um, your comment around beauty and and gardening and and um you know, there's sort of this thing in in gardening where this plant's cool this season, and there's you know it's a it's a trend thing, which is sort of inescapable. But I just feel like it's really wrong to apply that to plants. Yeah, you know, it, there's just something about it that really sort upsets me because these are incredible, exquisite living beings, and to apply you know there's apply all these kind of again culturally defined rules onto them and and framing them as this is a good plant this is a bad plant this is plants are alive and we should respect them it's really important that we pull ourselves above that and and try and look at it so much more Critically, you know, there there might be moments where I look at a native environment in California and I think to myself, I don't really want invasive yellow thistle taking over this native grassland and pushing out its native plants. But it yes. that's a decision of editing, not a, a valuing of what this is or this is. Yes, I think it's really tricky and I think it actually comes down to Black and white versus grayscale. Yeah. <laughs> so, right. you know, we can be very black and white about 
plants or about anything, but really is that where does that get us? We could we could also talk about things as as they perhaps really are, which is all different shades of grey. And mm. one plant in California might be a weed over here. You know, mm-hmm. it's just it it brings up so many um so many kind of things for me when we start being really definite about yeah this is wrong this is right i just um i think it's so dangerous yep the book itself is composed of 24 profiles of gardeners primarily in australia new zealand california so obviously australia was was easy enough for us yeah. and new zealand was essentially because I really wanted to include Thomas Waltz in the book and who's an American landscape architect who has a project in New Zealand. California was a sort of a similar thing, I guess. It was more a result of a conversation with um, David Godshall from Terremoto Landscape Architecture, who's also in the book because he was kind of – he was like our fixer, really. So I think having a a contact somewhere and he's I just really really wanted to we'd been pen pals for so long and so we we sort of had this this relationship and I knew again he was someone I really wanted to be in the book because I just think mm-hmm. his perspective and his work is is really interesting and and important but we could have been anywhere I mean right. yes, it would have been wonderful to to go well, and, to lots and of other places. You have to have parameters at a certain point. And, oh, yes. <laughs> and I think that when you, when you look at the range of profiles that you did, and there's a, a, a wide range, and they all illustrate at some level and in some way some of the messages we've already been discussing and some of your mission um, be, around the plant hunter um, – not some, like in total, they they encapsulate this mission. Were there are there ones that stand out as expanding your view, as embodying it in a in a particularly surprising or poignant way that you would call out to 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 listeners? They sort of all do in a way. Like I mean, really, the the criteria for any of these people to be in the book was that I fell completely in love with them, <laughs> you know, with their, with their vision and right. their, their output. So in a lot of ways, like I could, I could pull, pull um, any, any of these people out of a hat and, and, and tell you how that expanded my vision. Yeah. Topher Delaney um, was quite amazing spending time with her, I just think she's such an original thinker and so committed to ideas of transformation through through gardens and um she she really just she's on another on another wavelength I guess in a way she her her vision was was really inspiring um the yeah. same could be said for Thomas Waltz I just think you know the scale of his care you know I speak about care and you know it's very easy to care about a domestic garden space that's you know that you're in all the time that's very close to you um but the thing about him he's kind of got this perspective of you know he's so far 
above that in a way, like just in, in the expansiveness of, of his care on so many levels, you know, mm. on cultural, ecological, right down to kind of designing um, tiny islands in this wetland to make sure that they're the right topography for a very particular species of um, endangered bird. Yeah. So things like that just I found quite mind-blowing. Yeah, I would agree with you. Um, and so it's hard to pick a favorite from these stories for me as well. The, the Topher Delaney, especially the end part where she's talking about faith, about transformation, mm. it was one of those readings where you're, you kind of tingle you know the 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 part on faith was was really powerful and the profile and story on Fran Bodkin and yes. lessons from the oldest living culture yes was likewise it was it was wonderful so yes oh thank you yes both of those i think i had a lot of tingles with tofa yeah yeah and fran i just was reeling for a week she's incredible and that knowledge that we've so for so long devalued yeah. and not seen and that mm. that your reading list in the end is is really powerful so i hope listeners who who make the effort to look at the book and get the book definitely look through the further reading recommendations cuz they are a wonderful expansion of the book it, itself I, I think you've covered a lot of this, but I'm wondering yep. if there's a way to wrap this question up. How do you measure success for what you're doing in the world? Mm. It's a very hard thing, I think, um, particularly for someone who's quite good at being quite tough on herself. So success, <laughs> you know, it's it's a tricky thing. I guess getting the messages that I um, receive regularly from people who have said they've just, you know, completely fallen in love with the book or it's it's inspired them to to get back out into the garden or to think differently or to see things differently. So um, that is, I think, yeah, that's that's been really powerful and so humbling to to hear and read people's responses and they've been so generous and people seem to have gotten it again it's this surprise for me I think oh my god people actually get what I'm going on about <laughs> <laughs> but the, people seem to have which is so exciting and it's really energizing and, and inspiring in a way it's just um yeah, it's given me, I guess, confidence or more more confidence in in what I'm doing and that what I'm saying is is perhaps relevant right now. Is there anything else you would like to add? I mean, I could talk about all of this stuff for days. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I'll I'll end with one sort of visual question because I, I like to come back to that. You acknowledge in the book that you've been a gardener all your life, but primarily a gardener on someone else's space or um, a gardener of the mind, and you are now fully immersed and engaged in your own patch of dirt, as you refer to it, on 
the Hawkesbury River. Maybe give us yeah. um, like a, a little view into a scene or a feeling that that garden has offered to you. Well, I just love it so much. Um, <laughs> I mean, there's so much love um, in in this space for me. And I just spend, like, it's, it's really, it's, it's not a garden <laughs> that is photographable, even probably for the plant hunter, which, you know, as I said before, my, you know, we, we've, publish a lot of gardens that would never fit in in any other <laughs> certainly no lifestyle magazines but my garden is really visually it's pretty wild and rough but just in terms of nourishment I just um it just gives me so much and perhaps more importantly than that it it gives me um, a lot of things to question. <laughs> so I spend a lot of time kind of sitting on the step. At the moment, we've just had quite a bit of rain. It's been a really, really dry summer here and very, very hot. And the last month we've had a really beautiful amount of rain. So all of a sudden, everything, including the weeds, are kind of getting pretty wild. So <laughs> this morning... <laughs> as I made my way down to the boat shed, which is where I work, um, I keep sort of pulling back the grasses from around my little banksias and, and all of the little darlings that I need to keep keep weed-free a little bit. It hardly reads, actually, as a garden. <laughs> it's kind of got this old structure that has – it's the 1950s – sort of fisherman's shack and there's old sandstone walls very sort of very rough old sandstone walls and a sort of narrow little concrete path that leads up to the house and some beautiful uh, native trees that have just made themselves at home but the rest of it is is a mix of sort of my um plants from Sydney when I lived in a small courtyard and lots of local native plants that I've, I've bought and planted. And it's really, it's just super wild and there's stuff everywhere and I'm sort of half bush regenerating. So I'm sort of half just clearing a bit of space and seeing what natives pop up and then I'm also planting and it's, um, it's kind of fun. It's so fun. And, um, it's so challenging because all of the time I'm asking myself, why am I pulling this plant out? Am I pulling this plant out? Should I be planting this? How is, you know, like this just, mm -hmm. as you know, the garden um, brings up <laughs> a lot more questions than answers. So I find myself getting a bit swept away in, in my mind, my mind gardening as well as my physical gardening. But And then my physical gardening always kind of, you know, you can't really garden in the mind for too long because nature will set you straight very quickly. You just have to see what happens in the real garden. These Thank are the you. things I'm learning. <laughs> Thank you for being a guest on the program today. Thank you for having me, Jennifer. It's been a real pleasure.
Georgina Reed, known as George, is a gardener and writer. She is the founder, director, and primary writer at The Plant Hunter, an online magazine based in Australia, but is about life with plants, no matter where you might live. Her book of the same name, The Plant Hunter, subtitled Truth, Beauty, Chaos, and Plants, is available now in the U.S. from Timber Press. Cultivating Place is a listener-supported co-production of North State Public Radio. For more information and many photos from The Plant Hunter, see this week's show notes under the podcast tab at cultivatingplace.com. Our engineer is Sky Schofield. Original theme music is by Ma Muse, accompanied by Joe Craven and Sam Bevan. Cultivating Place is distributed nationally by PRX, Public Radio Exchange. Until next week, enjoy the cultivation of your place. I'm Jennifer Jewell.